This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the bread of life. Help us to feed on you today through your word and through the sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen. Our epistle reading this morning, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, began with this strong exhortation, I beg you, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. St. Paul has taught the Christians at Ephesus, he has prayed for them, and now he begs them to respond. Paul effectively summarizes all that he has said so far in the first three chapters into a single word, and that word is calling. God's word to us is inherently a call, an invitation, a welcoming into his presence and life and action. And Paul begs us to respond to this call. The English word from the Latin for call, vocare, is vocation. And of course, a vocation is more than a job. It's a way of life, something that goes often to the root of who we are and how we will live in the light of how we've been made and that which we've been called to and the vocation into which we live. Interestingly, the verb call is the root of the Greek word for church, ecclesia. And originally that wasn't a religious word at all. It simply meant a gathering or a calling of a group to meet together in a place. And as we now use the word church, it is about the assembly of God's people, the congregation. The point being, it's plural. It's about us. We who are called by Christ and follow Jesus, therefore, are part of an assembly, the congregation, the household and family of God, the body of Christ being built into a living temple for God. Lots of different metaphors there of who we are as the church, but we have this calling, we have this vocation. And that, St. Paul tells us, is to live a life worthy of that call. And we'll look at the specifics of this in a moment, but before I do, I want to just for a moment consider that word worthy. The Greek word it translates is axios, um, and that word translates uh, is um, really an expression of the two halves of this letter that pivot on that word. Axios the Greek word literally re refers to a set of scales, not the digital bathroom scales you might have, but the old-fashioned type, like this. And you put a weight in this side, and then you put your produce or whatever it is you're weighing until they come into balance. And when they do, they are axios. They are worthy. Well, the two sides of the scale in Ephesians are on one side God's calling, and on the other our response to God's call are living and walking the Christian life. So a mature, growing, healthy Christian is one who is living a life 
worthy of the calling that she or he has received. It's an important image. And I think it's important because we may be inclined to use all manner of scales other than the ones God uses. So we compare ourselves to other people or we measure ourselves according to our human potential or whatever other standard we may choose. But Paul says, live a life in balance with God's calling. Another thing we see here is just how relational this is. One side of the scales is not loaded up with the Ten Commandments and 172 rule books piled up. No, it's much more personal than that. God is not handing out information. He's not setting us down, sitting us down to an examination. He's not condemning or accusing. He's calling. Indeed, that's what we see God doing from the very beginning of the biblical narrative. He calls to Adam in the garden after Adam and Eve broke God's command. God called Abraham and Moses. Jesus called the first disciples to come and follow him. God called Saul on the road to Damascus. If we understand the Bible as merely a book of rules or information about God, we are missing something vital. Instead, we should think of the Bible as a call to listen to the Word of God. The Word of God who calls us into relationship with Him. When God calls, we are to respond. God calls, we answer, we follow, we do something. And when that calling and our lives are in balance, then we are on the way, at least, to living a life worthy of the calling that we have received. This, then, is what Paul is talking about here and in the rest of Ephesians. And uh, the lectionary has been in Ephesians these past several weeks and will for a few more, and we're going to be focusing principally on that. And Paul's very practical about how we can bring our lives into equilibrium with God's call. Paul is teaching us how to be healthy, to grow up, to be mature and not be like children, as he describes in verse 14, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine. What Paul longs for, what he is begging us to do, is, verse 15, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. And the specifics of what this looked like are not just for us individually, they're for us corporately. We grow into maturity as we do church together, as we live life together in a manner that's worthy of our callings. This is part of why we meet and what we do together week by week when we come to worship together. Worship's not about telling people how to live. Rather, worship calls us into the presence of the living God. As we worship God through the liturgy, through the music, through word and sacrament, we are entering into this calling by God the Father, into the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a community, we respond. 
This is the context in which we can grow to maturity and have our lives in balance. Well, I'm going to try and unpack some of the nuts and bolts of what this looks like. But before I do, there's one more thing I need to address. In the middle of that reading uh, we had today from Ephesians, there was that rather odd section about Christ ascending and descending and captivity and gifts. What does it all mean? Well, the text actually comes from the psalm, Psalm 68, which is a psalm that speaks of God's great acts of salvation. And Paul is adapting a portion of that psalm that speaks of the Lord coming as a mighty victorious king. And coming as a king, the king receives gifts from all people who express their gratitude and honor and exuberant worship. Here, in Ephesians, Paul is speaking not so much of the gifts that we give to God, but rather the gifts God gives to us. Paul wants us to see Jesus, the risen, ascended one, seated at the right hand of the Father, not so much as a king who receives gifts, though he does, but as the king who gives gifts. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that measure is huge, overflowing, abundant, far more than we can ask or imagine more than we could ever earn or deserve. And that's the whole point. God gives us good gifts. Why? Because he loves us, not as rewards for good behavior. And that is what grace is all about. In the light of all this, then, let's go back to what exactly it is that Paul is begging us to do. What does it look like to live a life in balance, a life worthy of the calling we have received? Well, Paul gives us five very specific examples in verse 2. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, unity. Years ago, I heard a sermon on this passage where the preacher um, approached these five marks of maturity by flipping them round to show what happens when they're not present. The opposite of what Paul is pointing us to illustrate what a a life that's not lived in balance looks like. And it's very challenging. We could say, therefore, that the marks of the unbalanced life are one, pride, which, of course, is the opposite of being humble. I'm sure we can all think of a person who's so full of themselves that they look down on others, or the person who seemingly doesn't need anyone else, a kind of go-it-alone type. Secondly, another mark of unhealth, abusiveness. Instead of being gentle, the spiritually immature person is abrasive and rude and abusive, whether that comes out verbally, emotionally, or physically. I wonder, do you know anyone like that? Thirdly, impatience. The spiritually immature can't wait for results. They want instant gratification. These are the sort of people who must find the quickest line at Trader Joe's, who, who always want the fastest internet, who expect their prayer request to be answered instantaneously as if God were somehow their personal bellhop. Well, fourthly, the fourth sign of being out of balance, unforgiveness. We see this in people who like to hold grudges people who refuse to forgive. They demand an eye for an eye. Perhaps you've heard someone say, I will never forgive that person. 
The person who refuses to forgive and will not bear with another's wrongdoing with love is in a perilous state. I think that harboring a spirit of unforgiveness may be the biggest impediment to our spiritual growth. And then fifthly, divisiveness. The divisive person focuses on themselves, their wants, their needs, their rights, their desires, their compulsion to win every argument or have the last word. Maybe people you know have come to mind for each of these signs of spiritual immaturity and not in balance. Or maybe, just maybe, like me, you recognize yourself all too clearly in one or other of these. The truth is, I'm often proud. I'm not always gentle. I can be impatient. I mean, the internet's never fast enough. How naturally and easily I behave selfishly. Picking up on Father Kevin's question from last week, I wonder what my 16-year-old self would think of my 59-year-old self. And certainly I'd, I'd recognize myself, but young Jonathan would be quite shocked to know what 43 years would bring. The ups and downs, the joys and heartaches. And yet, he'd be amazed to see the working out of God's faithfulness that he certainly believed in. I did. But I had no idea what it would look like. And now a little further along, or a lot further along, I can tell you what it looks like. It's real. God is faithful. Now, I am, of course, still a very, very much a work in progress. I have a long way to go. And by God's grace, and the Lord being my helper, I will continue to be formed and shaped into the calling God has on my life, to live a life worthy of that call. Well, having outlined some of the signs of Christian immaturity, what's the cure? What does the road to maturity look like? And the key to this is in verse 7. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. I think it's important that we understand Paul is not giving us a five-point recovery plan or a seven-point try-harder-to-be-good list. Rather, he sets out these five attributes of a worthy life that will be present when we answer God's call, when we receive God's love, when we embrace God's grace. So it's so important that, again, we look at these things in the light of this, in the light of grace, which is what? What is grace? Let's have a non-rhetorical moment. Unmerited favor. Thank you, Paige. Absolutely. Undeserved. Unmerited. This favor, this love, this mercy that God shows you when you don't deserve it. Grace is the foundation for our spiritual growth. And grace is shocking. It gives what's not deserved. Grace gives mercy when we deserve judgment. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor or make him love you more. 
God's love is not in any way related to your performance or how good you are. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and unity flow out of our relationship with God. Yes, we do need to make every effort to keep our lives in axios, in equilibrium, worthy of our callings. But these marks of maturity flow out of knowing God and of knowing how much he loves us. Knowing that he loves us not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done already for us. God cannot love you any more than he does now or any less. A spiritually mature person understands and grasps hold of grace and is grasped by grace. Grace acts like a mirror to our soul. On the one hand, it shows us our pride and rudeness and hostility and impatience and divisiveness. And on the other hand, grace reassures us of God's love for us. And it's both, because it's not some cheap thing. It doesn't act as if these other things don't matter. They do. And yet it's in the context of this extraordinary love. Please hear this, or to use St. Paul's language, I beg you to hear this. You don't have to change for God to love you. Really? Yes, really. You might be a selfish, difficult person. You might be dishonest, immoral, unfaithful. You might harbor all manner of secret sins and addictions. Here's what grace looks like. God does not say to you, well, first, get your life in order, shape up, and then I'll love you. Rather, he says, I love you. I love you now. He sees your thoughts, your desires, your heart, your soul, and he calls you to come to him. And as he calls, he says, I love you. And I accept you through Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? He cried out, Father, forgive them. Grace is for wicked, selfish sinners. Grace is even for self-righteous, respectable people. If only they, or perhaps we, will receive it. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that God doesn't want your disordered life to be reordered. He does. I'm not saying that God's okay with sin. He's not. He wants you to grow into maturity. And yet, shockingly, it starts with his love. And it's because God loves you that you can answer this call to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. When you know God's love for you, you will discover that you, you can be humble. Not, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. When you've experienced God's grace, you can grow in gentleness. You don't have to throw your weight around to show who's boss. You know there is only one boss, one Lord. That's Jesus. When we realize how patient God is with us, well then, albeit stumblingly, we can be patient with one another. We can give up this ridiculous idea that we're in control or in charge. When we understand just how much we have been forgiven, well, then we can bear with one another. I mean, people are difficult. We, you know, bearing with one another is not easy. 
but we can do it by God's grace. We can forgive one another. Your willingness to forgive is such a key indicator of where your heart and soul and mind is with God. And in all of this, we're to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In his wonderful book, it's been around quite a long time now, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. I do commend it to you if you've never read it. But he writes this, The proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but awareness of your impurity. That very awareness opens the door to grace. Becoming mature, living a life worthy of the calling you have received, takes time. It's a lifetime. There's no fast track to the mature life. I know of no easy way to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. I don't know any shortcuts to this, of getting our lives in balance with God's call. But I am convinced that the way to maturity lies in our willingness to immerse ourselves in community, to take the risks of being vulnerable with one another, so that we can help one another grow up into the measure of the full stature of Christ that Paul speaks about. And this is so hard to do. It means, as Paul challenges us in verse 15, that we have to learn to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is not something we're very used to seeing or doing. Some people are pretty good at speaking the truth, especially when it comes to regarding the faults and failings of others. But in love, that's more difficult. And others are good at showing love and empathy and concern, but only with the, the avoidance of telling the truth at all costs. Much better, they think, to dance around the herd of elephants in the middle of the nave than risk any awkward truth-telling. But that's just not so. It's not true. I beg you, live as the people God has called you to be. Let us grow up and become more mature. Let us no longer live as children tossed this way and that by, by every wind of doctrine. And there are plenty of winds of doctrine blowing. Rather, let us help one another, bearing with one another. Will we mess up? Absolutely, we will. How could we expect not to? And yet, we are called to persevere. We are called to gentleness, to patience, forbearance, even to speaking the truth in love. Thank God that he lavishes upon us his help and his grace. For in our own strength, we would stay stuck as spiritual babies or toddlers. Finally, I beg you, this week, when you are tempted, as you surely will be, to act in a way that is not worthy of the calling to which you have been called, turn again to Jesus and ask him for more of his grace that you may become more humble, more gentle, more of his love that you may grow in patience, more of his help that you may live a life marked by forbearance, and unity. Amen.